this morning we're turning to that word in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 9 through 18. The grass withers, the flower fails, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Goatia, Titus to Demacia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we are glad to have gathered here today in this place with these fellow Christians that we know and love. And in some way, this is a special day, a day of installation, a day when we gain a new pastor and new elders, and yet in a more central way, it is a Sunday just like every other Sunday. We are gathered to worship. And at the center of that worship is the hearing, the reading, the preaching of your word. So as later in the service, we will pray for your spirit to anoint and equip Bryant and Brian and Sean to the task, to the offices that you have called them to. So at this point in the service, we pray for your spirit, for the unction of that spirit to be at work in the preaching and in the hearing of your word. We pray that we would not just hear your word and be amused, that we would be hear your word and be intellectually stimulated, but that we would hear your word and we would be changed. In the name of our Savior, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Justin Cannon is a quitter. Justin Cannon's a young man from Washington, D.C. Over the course of a short life, he quit filmmaking, music, graphic design, and several other things. In his own words, he's tortured by the dueling forces of grand ambition and intense self-doubt. Most often, the battle leaves him frozen and despondent, and so he quits. At one point, he was expressing his growing exasperation, and he decided we should start a group. 
So he posted on Meetup an invitation for a quitters group. It was the Quitters Club. The tagline was, let's give up on our dreams together. He thought he might be forming a group of one, but within 48 hours, he had 35 people in his group. One attendee was ready to cast aside her long-held ambition to become an actress. Uh, Another uh, was ready to cast aside their desire to be a writer. Another was ready to quit Washington, D.C., all together, they were drawn together by the invite that read, most of us have something special that we'd like to do with our lives. At the Quitters Club, we can help each other stomp out the brush fires of ambition set in our hearts so that we can get on with our lives. The Apostle Paul was not a quitter. As we come to these words at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're coming to the end of the life, at least what we believe was the end of his life, what he certainly believed was the end of his life, as he sat in a Roman prison. He had had dreams, uh, he had had ambition, Uh, the Lord had given him a task, Uh, And he had run the race, he had fought the good fight, and, and here he was at the end of his life. And on this morning, when we come together, we've already picked up, we have a different sort of service this morning. We're setting aside parables for a week. We've got a a sort of an official service with different people involved, and we're going to be asking questions later on of elders and of uh, pastor, and we're going to be walking through this process. I thought it would be good for us to go to the life of somebody who didn't quit, the life of somebody who God sustained through thick and thin to the very end, As he served, as he led, uh, as he taught, as people listened and responded, and to see what it is that we can learn by pressing into this passage of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Surely you already realize it's a somewhat unusual passage. It's very personal. It's, It's filled with lots of what we preachers like to call lived body detail. Uh, There are are things in there about cloaks and people's names and places and all of these things. So there's lots of, you know, real life stuff in there. But there are some tremendous truths that affect us all generally as Christians. You know, as we seek to follow the Lord and been talking about that in our, uh, you know, our Sunday school January series here, you know, we all have, no matter what our secondary occupation might be, uh, we all have the vocation to follow Jesus. Uh, and then we also see it somewhat specifically through Paul's eyes, one who was called to shepherd the sheep, one who was called to serve the church uh, as his 
you know, specific or particular vocation or calling. And so as we dive into that, there's application to be made to us all generally, but then also uh, for elders specifically. And there's three things that I want to touch on with you this morning as we move forward. The first is this. As we follow Jesus, all of us, elders, uh, you know, kids, older folks, middle age, wherever we are in life, we all need help. Uh, we cannot do it alone. And there are three ways in this passage that, uh, that sort of highlight the type of help that we need. The first is this. We need people. You know, there are so many people from verses 9 to 22 that are mentioned. I didn't actually count the names, you know, but there's Demas and there's Crescens, there's Luke, Mark, Tychicus, uh, there's Carpus, uh, there's Priscilla, Aquila, uh, Erastus, Trophimus, Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. I mean, there's all of these people uh, that are mentioned. So often we think about the Apostle Paul, and we think about the things that he did in terms of bringing the gospel to the Gentiles all throughout uh, the, the known world at that time. But he was never alone. And as you read through the epistles, you recognize that Paul very much needed other people around him. Uh, and, and as we're going to see in just a minute, he felt it when they were not around him, when they didn't show up. So number one, you know, just in terms of needing help, we need people. You need people. I need people. Brian needs people. Sean, Brian, we need each other. Uh, and, and we need to grasp that, especially in this age of, of rampant individualism uh, that would push us in the opposite direction, saying that you don't need anybody else. You are your own master. You are your own captain. You are you know, the, the, the one who sets your course. We need people. We not only need people, we also need parchment. Uh, you see that there in, in verse uh, 13, is it, uh, where, where Paul is asking uh, Timothy, you know, he's longing for Timothy to come and be with him at this particular point. And he's saying, when you come, you know, stop and, and get the books and especially the parchments. Now, we don't know exactly what he's talking about here. Um, you know, obviously books in those days were, were different than we have here. There are scrolls, uh, scrolls and parchments. Is he saying scrolls, particularly the ones that were parchments, were they the same thing? Were they different? Uh, probably, most likely, he had some scroll that had copies of what we would know as the Old Testament. There may have been his own notes that he had kept in his life. Uh, he may have had the writings of others. We know Peter, for instance, had the writings of Paul in his possessions uh, from later on. Whatever the case is, what we see here and what, you know, where we need help is in continuing to learn and grow even until the end of our life. You know, Paul is aware at this point that he is likely going to be executed as a Roman prisoner. Uh, he is likely going to die maybe within days, months, years, however long the judicial system takes, but he knows he's going to die. And, and he, in the midst of that, says, I need to keep learning. 
I need to keep pursuing Christ. Now, I don't know where you are in your life, but we recognize that we always need to be pursuing Christ. I think about this particularly for those who who bear the mantle of, of service to the church, of leadership in that way. The need to keep reading, like we never come to that point where we don't need to learn anymore, where we have everything that we need. Keep pushing into the things of God, certainly, you know, His Word, but also other books, you know, gaining wisdom that we can from other folks. The need that we have for that help that comes in that form to be shaping our lives. The third thing that we see just in terms of help is provision. Also in verse 13, when he's telling Timothy to bring the, uh, the scrolls and the parchments, he also says, bring my cloak. You're like, Why? What are you? that's very detailed, right? Like, go to Carpus's house where I left this and bring my cloak. You know, that London fog, you know, the... Why? Well... Paul is telling us something very basic here, you know, that he's a human, and he's cold, and he needs that cloak that probably he left behind when he would take, was taken captive there in Troas, you know, in the flurry of however that happened, he wasn't able to, to bring the cloak, and so he had to leave it there at Carpus's house, but, but now he has real, physical, human needs, He's cold, and he's about to go through winter, and he really needs that cloak. And that's one of the things that we see here, uh, you know, in all aspects of life is that we are not Jesus. I mean, Jesus came, right, as a a human, and he needed to eat. He, He needed to sleep. He needed all of these things. We are not Jesus. We are fully human without being fully divine. And, and, and we have these needs as well. And, and so as we serve, as we lead, we need to remember uh, that those needs are real. And we don't need to be some sort of crazy ascetic that says we're going to deny all of that stuff. Paul asked for his cloak, uh, which is a very real sort of need. You know, oftentimes in these services when we are installing folks. We have separate charges. We don't have any separate charges today to the minister, to the elders, or to the congregation, uh, because all three of the men that we are installing today have previously been ordained. But I worked them into the sermon here just to help us to think uh, a little bit, so not separately. So at this point, you know, I would probably give a charge to those who are taking on the, uh, the role of elder, whether it be ruling elder or teaching elder within this congregation, and say this, don't be a hero leader. We don't need hero leaders. We need you to be fully human people who are dependent on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he ministers that grace to us through other people, as he ministers that grace to us through his word and through the teaching of others, 
as he ministers that grace to us by the, the provision that he gives us in our life. Whenever we set ourselves to be hero leaders, and I can speak to this firsthand, whenever we set ourselves to be hero leaders, when we uh, appoint ourselves to be messiahs, Rather than men or women dependent upon the grace of God, we always make a shipwreck of it. So the charge is, you know, use the help that God has given you. Rely on Him and His good gifts in your life. Secondly, not only do, does this passage teach us that we need help, this passage also teaches us uh, that we will... As Christians, and maybe especially as, as those called to serve the church through leadership, we will experience hurt. You see it, I think, in three different ways here with Paul. The, the first is just the direct opposition. You see that in verses 14 and 15. Alexander, the coppersmith, did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him, Timothy, yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. We don't know exactly who this Alexander is. It's probably not the same Alexander that was mentioned previously in Ephesus, I believe it was. Uh, but he is most likely somebody who got Paul arrested in Troas, uh, who, who got, you know, brought a charge, uh, opposed his ministry, and led directly to his arrest. And that's probably why Paul is warning Timothy. Like, if you go to Troas and you pick up my cloak and the parchments that are there, watch out for Alexander, because he is an enemy. He is opposes the cause of Christ and wants to do you harm. And, and we recognize this, right, in our life. You know, as much as we'd love to say that everybody is good, as much as we'd love to say that, you know, the grace of God has come to everybody in the world, we really can't say that. You know, there, there is in this world a divide between those who love Jesus and have submitted their lives to him and are following him, and there, is, there are those who, who don't. They, they don't love Jesus, at least not love him enough to deny themselves, to lay down their lives for him. And they are not following him. They may be good people on the outside. This is sometimes really hard for people to say, but what about my neighbor? I know they don't love Jesus, but they're such good people. I mean, they were out shoveling my walk this morning. They always say hi to the kids and all of these different things. Yes. There are good people on the outside, but they are opposed to Jesus. Either you love him or you don't. And we experience that in our lives, and Paul experienced that very specifically through Alexander the coppersmith. And one of the things that Paul is reminding us here is that there is opposition we are in a war. We have an enemy who is nurturing and cultivating a whole army of enemies. Now, we don't say that you know, to, to frighten. We don't say that to, uh, 
you know, sort of negatively motivate. But we say that just because it's real. And we need to know that and we need to recognize that some of the hurt that we experience uh, in ministry, you see this with Paul here, uh, is because there is very real opposition in this world. Ideologically, uh, power-wise, politically, I mean there's so many ways in which we experience that. There is an opposition. But there is also, secondly here under this one, there's also disappointment. It's one of the hardest things about this text. Uh, I don't know if you picked up on this. Verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Do you feel the weight of the hurt that Paul experienced there. Now, keep in mind, he's in a community. Like, even in this passage, you know, he talks about Luke being with him. Uh, he talks about, you know, Linus and Pudens and Claudia and all the brothers who are sending greetings along with him. Like, where were these guys? Why, why weren't they there? You know, what... Probably what happened was, you know, Paul was indicted, and very similar to our legal system, there's like a grand jury he hearing in which they, uh, the case is established and there's a decision, an initial decision made whether there's enough to carry him over for trial, right? So at his first offense, that's probably what he was talking about, nobody came to say, you've got this wrong. Paul's actually a really good guy. Nobody came to stand in support of him. Nobody who's in the church. See, now we're not talking about the opposition that's outside. We're talking about the disappointment from those who are inside. And I know that I'm talking to people that have experienced that. I mean, we all have experienced the disappointment from our church community, from other believers who have deserted us in a time of need. You know, our father died and they didn't call. You know, I was going through a tough time financially and they weren't there. My marriage was in real trouble and nobody really seemed to care. I was so lonely and nobody invited me. We, we know that kind of disappointment. You know, at, at my first offense, nobody came. They, they all deserted me. And we need to know as believers that this is what it's like to live in a fallen world. You know, we will face that kind of disappointment. And I know if you take on the mantle of leadership, and I know Bryant knows, and I know Sean and Brian and, and everybody else who has been in leadership, you will, you know, exponentially experience these times when you feel very alone, put upon by those who are in your flock, in your congregation. Here's what's so interesting about this passage. And I'm sure you've already picked up on this. Paul's not bitter. Paul is sending greetings from, from all these people to the ones that he's writing who weren't with him. 
you know, Linus and Pudens and Claudia and all the brothers and Luke. You know, I, I don't know why they weren't there. Maybe there was something, some reason which they were providentially hindered. But, but Paul is not bitter in this passage. It doesn't come through at all. He probably recognizes his own tendency to desert. He probably recognizes his own need for grace and the gospel. What's so important, well, I'll hold that for just a minute. So we're going we're gonna to face that disappointment. Uh, the third thing that I'll just mention, and, and I've got to go fast. I wish I had more time to do this. But just the, the ones, you know, we talked about opposition. We talk about the disappointment from those who are our friends. Uh, but what about the disillusionment of Demas? You, you see him there in verse 10, right? Demas, in love with this world, has deserted me. Now, this is a little bit different than, you know, the friends who didn't show up. This is the, the wolf among the sheep, right? You know, for a long time, we see this in Colossians 4. Paul talks about Demas and thinks that he is part of the flock and he's serving. And in the end, it turns out, at least as far as we can tell from the scriptural notation, and, you know, my prayer would be that Demas's soul would be saved. But from everything that we can see, it appears that he is a wolf within the flock uh, and that he left. He left the, the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did he leave? Well, it tells us that he was in love with the world. You know, what does that mean? Was it the world's goods? Why did he go to Thessalonica? You know, was there a woman there? Or was there, you know, was that his home? He was just tired of being persecuted, being on the road with Paul, which was not an easy thing. Uh, did he just want to get out of it? What, was there a business offer? You know, you're really talented, Demas. You know, why are you spending all your time in ministry when you could be out making money? I mean, what was it that drew Demas? We, we don't know. Uh, but the reality is, you know, part of the thing that we have to be aware of is that not everybody in the local church, if I can use that language, is truly, in the end, going to prove to be a follower of Christ. There are some here that are demises, and, and that frightens us, that, that saddens us. I wonder if this is who Lewis had in mind, C.S. Lewis, as he wrote his character of Susan, you know, in the Chronicles of Narnia. She doesn't make it to Aslan's country. Uh, my sister Susan answered Peter shortly and gravely, is no longer a friend of Narnia. Yes, said Eustace, whenever you tried to get her to come and talk about Narnia or do anything about Narnia, she always says, what wonderful memories you have. Fancy, you're still talking about all those funny games we used to play as children. You know, the, the world grasped her with ideas that seemed far more intellectually sophisticated than maybe what she considered to be just the stories about Narnia. Is there any danger in that for us? You better believe it. You know, we, we talk about a Jesus that has risen from the dead. And for some people, that's a fairy tale. People don't rise from the dead. But I've staked my life on the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. And in the end, that is what is going to separate people. Have you staked your life on that, or is it simply a children's fairy tale? 
in this, I have a charge to the congregation. You know, my charge to the congregation is, is this. Pursue the Lord. Abide in Him. With all faith and love, make your elders' ministry a delight by putting the Lord Christ first in all things in your life. Recognize that there will be times when for various and sundry reasons, your leaders will be alone and feel that loneliness and would love for you to come and to stand by them and to seek the Lord together. The third thing that I'll mention this morning is this. Not only do we need help, not only do we experience hurt, but as believers and as leaders together, we cling to hope. Again, there's so much here. You know, verse 17 is unbelievable. Uh, You know, take verse 17, put it close to your heart, cherish it. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed that the Gentiles may hear it. I mean, Paul always had in mind his mission. You know, are we so mission-focused, you know, that we are always thinking about sharing what God has given us with other people. But, but notice, and I have two things for you here, the presence in the present. The Lord stood by me. The Lord stood by me. He uses this language. If you go back, Acts 27, verse 23, Acts 23, verse 11, it's almost the exact same language. In 27, it's before the shipwreck. Uh, and Paul says, the Lord came and stood by me. The Lord to whom I belong. He, he knew the Lord personally. And he knew that the Lord would never, uh, would never desert him. This was one of the reasons why he, he didn't have to be bitter at the church, right? Because he, he knew that people can desert us, but the Lord will never desert us. The Lord will stand by me. Do you, do you know the Lord in that way? You know, in, in the way that you walk through your life, the way that you follow him, whether it be in parenting or in your marriage, whether it be uh, in your business endeavors or your attempts to, to be a light in your neighborhood, the Lord will stand by you and strengthen you. The Lord is your constant companion in that. You will feel frustration, but know that the Lord is giving you strength to get in there and to love your wife, to get in there and and to nurture your kids as they go through difficult times. The Lord is your strength, and he will never forsake you. I think about Demas, you know, who left for the world that is passing away. And he abandoned the Lord who would stand by him for all eternity. May your hearts be broken over Demas and may your love for the Lord, may your love for the, your, your hope in the Lord be strengthened in all that you do. Because, and this is the last thing, not only is he present in the present, uh, but he is our promise for all eternity. 
Verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, presumably those that are done against me, thinking of Alexander, thinking of the Romans, his impending death, all of that. The Lord will rescue me and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever and ever. And this is the final charge. The final charge, which is, comes from 2 Corinthians 4. So we do not lose heart. None of us, elders, deacons, staff members, congregations, people in good marriages, bad marriages, kids going through smooth times, difficult times, wherever we might be today, older people, at the very close of your own life, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look, not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would do that in our hearts. Give us eyes to see and hearts to understand. Father, we thank you for the good gifts that you give us. We thank you for help. We thank you for people in our lives. We thank you for men set apart to serve and to lead. We thank you for uh, your persevering grace with us through the difficulties of life. And we pray now that as a congregation, you would help us to cling to the hope that you would bring us safely into your heavenly kingdom and that with the angels and the archangels and all creation, we would give glory to you forevermore. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.